Hi, and welcome back to the Carb Appropriate Podcast, where today I'm talking to my good buddy, Mike Huffham. Mike is a kettlebell expert who's been practicing with kettlebells for well over a decade. He runs the Master Kettlebell Academy and is a veritable expert in the use of kettlebells in modern strength and conditioning. After being involved in strength and conditioning and strength sports myself for over two decades and training under some excellent kettlebell coaches, I can say that Mike is one of the absolute best instructors that I've ever worked with anywhere in the world. So sit back, relax, and listen to this chat with me and Mike Huffam, the Kettlebell King. Welcome to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. This song don't give a damn If the rhymes don't fit with the DJ quit This song don't give a damn You can't sing or dance to it, can't romance to it This song ain't arrogant If you don't try and buy it Or if your radio denies it Don't care about what, who got, what's cool on TV Or what spots hot, I forgot I ain't mad at evolution But I stand for revolution Get up, enough is enough Somebody stand up, come on Welcome, Michael. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the so, invitation. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been wanting to get you on for a while. Now, you, you've uh, just come back from China. Certainly have. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing up there. Um, so, And I'll just drink some coffee while you Yeah, do. no, please do. Um, so basically, I've in 2017 started my own kettlebell uh, certification, uh, Master Kettlebell Academy. And I've been up to China a few times to try and share the love. And um, the equivalent of reps in China is AASFP. And I flew to Beijing on a whim in March to have a meeting with a lady, a uh, decent, uh, decent business meeting. Uh, and, you know, the motto was, uh, my motto was, if you don't go, I'll never know. So yeah. went there and met a lady and... Um, you know, and I said, hey, listen, I've got this Kettlebell Academy. And she said, tell me about it. And I was like, right, I've got level one, level two. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, level three. And she goes, what's level three? And I said, oh, it's um, therapy and rehabilitation. And then her eyes lit up and uh, it was kind of like the what she needed to hear. And I said, well, who have you been using for your kettlebell work so far? And she said, no one. And this company's been in Hong Kong since 1992 um, and then in mainland China since 2002. So, you know, a decent amount of time and no kettlebell. Um, and I've been approached by many companies over the time, and I think the timing was just right. And so I um, was invited to present at a AFEX, which is the Asian Fitness Expo um, in Beijing. So I delivered two workshops, uh, presentations. One was on sort of how to create uh, team training to, uh, using kettlebells, and the other one was kind of advertising, marketing my therapy and rehabilitation and they were well well attended and so I kind of went there with to plant seeds and I went there going straight into level three because I've been googling and, and no one's doing kettlebell rehabilitation as a certification yeah that I that I can find um and so I thought I want to be first to market uh, obviously with 1.4 billion people in China there's a decent market um, <laughs> and uh, so 
um, we decided to go straight to level three to create some interest, and it's worked. Um, so I delivered my first Master Kettlebell Academy therapy rehabilitation in Hong Kong, and we had 23 participants. Um, the gambles worked. Um, they've created lots of interest. Now they want level one and two. So I'm trying to get back um, to China in December. And if that's a bit too close for organization purposes, we're going to go mid-February, which is right after Chinese New Year. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. so that's the... Uh, so lots happening. Yeah, lots happening. It's good fun. So, Mikey, we first met, it's not probably not quite a decade ago, but it's, it's probably not far off either. Uh, we were both working with uh, a corporate boxing program. You were doing the strength and conditioning and I was doing the nutrition. And um, it's one of those slightly embarrassing stories like like I relayed when I met Daz and sort of thought, oh, who's this guy? And then realized that I could learn a lot from him. Similarly, uh, guys like Eric Helms. But we turned up and they asked me what I was doing for it. I said, oh, nutrition. And they said, oh, Mikey, get up and tell us a bit about yourself. And you got up and said, oh, I'm doing strength and conditioning. I'm a kettlebell specialist. And I was thinking, yeah, like hell, you're a kettlebell <laughs> specialist. Having just come back from, you know, living in Canada for five years where I trained under Carmen Bottom Gentello. I sort of thought, oh, there's, there's not going to be any decent kettlebell guys down here. Um, I was quickly put in my place and realized that what you were doing was pretty amazing. So how, how did that all happen? You've, you've obviously been through a lot of a lot of training, a lot of self-exploration, but how did the whole kettlebell thing start for you? Yeah, great question. And I think I think um, the ringside boxing, the corporate, I think it might have started in 2007 because yeah. I, don't, I don't think my boys were um, – my boys were alive, and so Lucas is 12 and Jackson's 10, so we might be just over the decade mark. Oh, wow. Um, because if there that's was... the case, I'd just come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. literally, literally. Um, and so how I got into kettlebells, um, somehow a lady got a hold of my name. Uh, she was from Whangarei. Um, she used to sprint for New Zealand uh, as a teenager, went away, got married, had babies, and then wanted to make a comeback um, in the Masters over 35. And so she came down and said, hey, can you, um, I heard, you know, you're, you're a trainer. I want to train with you. And, and so there I was like, yeah, of course, as you do. And because we were around about the same time now, probably 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And um, so I quickly jumped online and thought, okay, what's the, uh, what's the go-to uh, strength work for sprinters? And at the time, Alison Felix uh, was an 18-year-old at college, and she's now – for anybody that doesn't follow American sprinting, not that I do as well, but I do know she's the most decorated American sprinter. I think she's at six or eight gold medals. Wow. At the time, she was beating Florence Griffiths Joyner's equivalent times at college. And cut a long story short, is the coach, the strength coach of hers, sort of main choice of exercise was a kettlebell hmm. and swings. So I'm like, okay, right. Who was that strength coach? Do you remember? Yeah, no, I don't remember. I don't remember. I'll, I'll, I'll try and find the article and we can um, put it on the on the note comments. Um, and so I came back came back to the gym. And I was like, righto, kettlebells. Kettlebells New Zealand. No kettlebells. No, <laughs> no kettlebells. Okay, so I started. I literally picked up a dumbbell and hold it on, held it on its edge and um, started swinging it between my legs. And um, that's kind of, that's how that happened. And then within six months, um, a guy from Taranaki, Dean Jolly was his name. Oh, uh, yeah. but, um, he had just done the RKC and he actually 
bought the molds to kettlebells and they were stupid expensive. Like I remember spending $480 for a 20 and a 24. Uh, now like a 20, 120 odd dollars, I think. Um, and so he was holding a little workshop. So I went and did that, uh, loved it. And then through another guy at Les Mills, I got in touch with Steve Cotter, who was was with RKC and now is, does his own IKFF, more into the sport sort of style of it now. And um, got him down for a workshop, so kind of learned the... Did the, you actually bring him down? Yeah, the sport, oh, wow. style, the sport style of kettlebell, so I kind of had a little play with that. The next year, because um, he, he just started a certification, and then Anthony Wall, who was the um, team training manager, national team training manager at Les Mills, I said, hey, Anthony, can we get Steve Cotter back down to actually do the certification? So uh, that's how I got that. And then um, then I wanted to learn the hard style. So I flew to St. Paul, Minneapolis and um, did the certification with Pavel. He led it. Um, and Andrea Duquesne, who's John Duquesne's wife, she was kind of like our team leader. So I had the, the gurus of the time wow. leading it. And... On the plane ride home, I thought if I ever start my own certification, I'll I'll change it. Um, and what I mean by that is, you had to do a hundred a hundred at the time. They've changed it now for weight, uh, your your body weight. At the time for men, no matter how what how much you weighed, it was twenty four kilos, and you had to uh, snatch it a hundred times without putting down the kettlebell. Now you can put it down. You just have to complete the hundred in a five minute window. Uh, uh, it was midwinter, St. Paul, Minneapolis. If you don't know, it snows a lot. And day one, morning one of a three-day certification, uh, we're outside snatching. And my partner at the time, local American guy, I could kind of see his grip going. And I'm like, swap swap hands, because you can swap hands as much as you want. He said, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. And like 98, 99, on the downward swing, let oh, it go no. through his legs. Oh, you know, and he was crushed. So for the rest of his certification, he'd already failed. So he was already looking at an attendance certification. And I thought, man, that's tough. I mean, it, it's their thing. And that's cool. So where I went straight from there was like, if I ever started something, it won't be certified on can you perform? Because just because you can perform something, as you well know, um, doesn't mean you're a bad coach. There can be a lot yeah. of good coaches who I what I recommend is that they I'd love everybody to be able to snatch the kettlebell 100 times in five minutes, but that's going to come with time and practice and dedication. Mm. So I went straight to coaching perspective. So my certifications are based on can you see breakdowns in, in the required patterns and can you give simple cues to fix the pattern? Any language you like, it's not about using my language. So long as our participant gets into the correct position, mm. uh, you know, that's all we're after. So... That's how um, Master Kettlebell Academy came about. I was like, oh, the kettlebell, obviously, I want you to master it. And then the academy came apart um, because I've got level one, two, and three. I don't just want to take people's money and have to have them um, recertify in two years' time because um, your PhD, you're not going to have to recertify in two years' time. You've got it for life, right? So obviously you need to keep practicing. But um, I want the academy part of it is because I want people to be able to come back and continue learning. So even yeah. within level three, um, there's there's a couple of levels within that as well. So there's it's continuing education as opposed to, right, come back and reset the same thing that you've already done. Mm. Mm. So that's how. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that that's provides an interesting context because you've obviously been through a lot of 
different styles with the kettlebells. You've obviously trained under different guys. They all have slightly different styles. Mm. And because of that, I think your, your approach to kettlebells is quite pragmatic. Whereas sometimes when people have been trained in just one particular style, that's the right way to do it. Yeah. And every other way is wrong. Yeah. But hey, we've got different body types. We've got different, you know, things we're trying to do. We were just talking before about, you know, if you're trying to do a maximum, you know, uh, bed press for maximum weight, the form is going to be quite different <laughs> to doing it for hip mobility and for, mm. you know, mobilizing your hamstrings and shoulder stability and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. I mean, like, you know, you raise a good point. Um, you know, back in the day when I kind of started, like the late 90s, um, Paul Check was the rage. And I still love the guy. You know, I still follow him, right? But it was like... I trained under Paul Check. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know... Um, this is 1997. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 96, I think the DVDs came out. Scientific Core, Scientific Backing Program Design Level 1. You know, I did those. And then I did his um, Nutrition and Lifestyle Coaching Level 1. Um, and it was like everyone that followed him was like, Paul Check. Pull check, pull check. Um, and then you had the um, Charles Polican people. And it was like, this is the only way and became very tunnel visioned. And I was like, what about if we go study whoever you want to study and take from them what you like, take from them what you like, take from them what you like <coughs> and put that all together. So you're more of a well-rounded coach as opposed to being my way is the only way and that person's wrong and that person's right. I mean, nowadays I say um, at my level one, I'm like, there's no bad exercises. No. There's no right or wrong exercises. But if you want to learn kettlebells traditionally, it's done like this. But if you want to swing a kettlebell and squat it and, and upright raise it, good for you. But I'm going to teach you the traditional way and the best way to well, use it, utilize them. I would posit that we, we've been very sort of engendered into the Russian style as well because, you know, a snatch, a, a two-handed... Um, snatched to overhead with a with one kettlebell in other words uh, an american style swing, swing. is a, an old competition lift yeah you know people used to do that um so i don't think like you say i don't think there's any right or wrong lifts or or even right or wrong techniques so long as they are and safe within balance safe, exactly so that's you know exactly right if if you go to a chiropractor or a physio and say my lower back i've put it out i've done something and they go what were you doing and they, and then you go kettlebell swings Oh, it's the kettlebell swing. It's not the swing. Yeah, yeah. It's the person who taught you or, you know, get your hand in your pocket and go and learn from a professional. That's where the key is. Uh, and very similar to um, CrossFit. CrossFit's not bad. You know, there's only there's only good, there's, there's great coaches and then there's okay coaches. So, you know, you need to go, okay. And there's find out. Yes. <laughs> there's <laughs> some terrible coaches. Okay, okay, let's be honest. There's some terrible coaches. Um, but there's but bad it, coaches in any sport across the board, right? 100% agree. 100% agree. So we can't blame the tool, you know, it's the or, or the system. Um, yeah. It's how you put that system together. And, you know, I was talking to you before. Um, for, for me for me now, it's like um, if someone wants to press overhead, they need to have earned the right mm. to get there. And I'm talking, are they thoracic extending or are they just doing it anyhow? You know, make sure you've got the right mobility and the right flexibility to be able to do that. And if they can't, it's my job as the trainer to protect them because then it would be my fault if they injured themselves, not the yeah. student. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, earn, earn the right to, to get into said position, whatever we're teaching. Yeah. Mm. It's, a, it's a biggie for me now, especially uh, 
as we're maturing uh, gracefully, Cliffy. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's one of the most fascinating things I, I I'm really interested in at the moment. Obviously, getting a little bit older is that idea of lifelong training and you know longevity, but but health span longevity, yeah, not yeah. lifespan longevity necessarily. But with kettlebells, they they've you know they've had their their rise to some degree. I don't think they're necessarily falling away, but when we would have got into them, you know, over a decade ago, probably longer, um, you'd be hard pressed to find a kettlebell in a gym. Now I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a gym without kettlebells. Yeah. But do, do you think they've somewhat <clears throat> had their day now, or do you think with the emerging markets like China opening up, it's just the beginning? I I don't think they've had their day yet. Um, you know, look, we can we can really hand up honestly thank crossfit for a lot of things the amount of people now olympic lifting power lifting yeah. uh, getting into their gymnastics even their rowing and sort of you know aerobic capacity so, all around <laughs> all around you know um and so obviously within crossfit there's kettlebells and kettlebell swings you know um i just think that because crossfit is competitive and there needs to be a yardstick i think the american swing was the safest way to um make sure a rep was counted, you know, bicep next to your ears, kettlebell above your head. Because I don't think it's dangerous. No, it's not. Provided that provided people do it properly. Yeah. You know, it's like the um so so you know there's the I teach uh, a bent arm in the swing and people go, oh why are you bending your arms? What what's wrong with the straight arm? Well straight arm for me, for most people when they're learning, the weight is going away for you at at, at force. Yeah. Shoulder blades are protracted. With a slight bent arm, I like to retract the shoulder blades so that I'm actually using my upper back within. And then if I'm going overhead, I'm going to keep, I'm going to thrust, keep the kettlebell really close to me. And it's almost becomes like a thrust, pull, press to my final position versus yeah. the straight arm is a long road and it goes over the head and people arch their back, look up. And that's when we run into trouble. There's yeah. nothing wrong with the two handed snatch. American swing, whatever we want to call it. There's nothing wrong with that exercise at all. But if people have got because a swing tight, is a type, a swing to overhead is a type of snatch. It is. It's just done with two hands, and you and you're not necessarily allowing it to flip over the back of the wrist. Yeah. Um, so no, I 100% agree. Provided that we do the right thing and say, is our client okay to do uh, that? Yeah. Yes, they are. Cool. You can. No, they're not. But then if they want to go and do a competition, you have to do a kettlebell swing to overhead. That's on them. That's yeah. not on the coach, you know, or the, it's like, hey, I want to do it. Okay. I don't think you should, Cliff, but, you know. Yeah. But, hey, if you give me a couple of months working on your thoracic spine and maybe some some lat uh, flexibility, you know, you, there's probably not going to be a problem with you going overhead. Yeah. I, I think it's probably analogous in some respects to um, doing kipping or butterfly Pull up. So, you know, I, I know that you and, and Daz as well have both been, been big fans of getting people to be able to restrict strict first, chin ups first, to, to have the strength and, and yeah. stability. Yeah. Uh, but I, I remember a few years back, there was a someone had posted that you should never do a kipping or a butterfly pull up. People should always do them under control. And I, I just didn't get involved except for posting, well, um, do you do that with your snatches? You know, do you only ever do a snatch as a slow muscle snatch because it's under control? Of course yeah. you fucking don't. No, well, you can't. No, and, and that's not life either. You know, there are, there's times when we need to do things dynamically. You don't get, um, 
you know, Seba Reese doing a slow controlled side step. Yeah, yeah. You know, things are going to be done under load in strange environments with yeah. quite a lot of, you know, high extreme range on the joint. Yeah. yeah. You got to train for it. Exactly. Yeah. And and when on the kipping, whether you're kipping or butterflying chins, um, it's like, oh, you're cheating. Okay. Talk to me, talk me through this cheating. Yeah. Because when you're stripped, you, you're pretty much straight up and down. When we're kipping, we're going from, we're going past the vertical line, coming back to the bar, and then coming back down. So it's more um, repetitive in nature that way. When we're butterflying, we're going way past the vertical line, coming way back. So we're actually, um, if the range of motion for strict is straight up and down, when we're butterflying, it's it's increasing the range of motion. Mm. So how can it be cheating if we're asking a joint to go through a greater range of motion, which means obviously ligaments and tendons are going to get worked better. The muscle fibers are going to get worked better. And if we do, if I can do 10 strict, but I can do 50 kipping, I can assure you that the output is greater for my 50, 50 kipping than your than your 10 strict. No, so it's yeah. not a, it's not a, I can't, I can't get my head around the, the cheaters that, is, that obviously just don't understand the movement or just pure CrossFit haters and there's lots yeah. of haters of lots of sports, so that's well, okay too. I guess there's there's different definitions of cheating too, right? There's sort of there's cheating as as in you're not doing it correctly and therefore it's bad, or cheating as in you are changing the way it's done to make it easier, which is fair, I think. It yep. does make it easier yep. for one well, rep. That because then so then that comes into well, I'm being more efficient than you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like and again, there's a lot of cheap movements cheat movements in an old style weightlifting you know going back to the 19th century and previous you know we had the cheat curl the, and the, the back bend on those we, you know we were the yeah you know the, the huge and um, was still hyper extension of course yeah yeah you know you can bend at the bend at the waist you can't bend at the knees but you get a lot of momentum and you curl a lot yep even the uh the strict press you know there's there's pictures of the old boys with you know 160 maybe even more strict um pressing and they're pushing hips right forward and arching into the back and yeah yeah but they are lifting huge weights over here. and they were super strong super I strong mean, super strong abs super strong abs and super strong glutes to preserve the low back and stability so long ago that there was no steroids involved so we're talking real old school strength yeah you know yeah that's um Eric Helms has been posting a lot about that lately. Old, you know, pictures of some of the old guys, um, you know, your Arthur Saxons and your your Gurners and people like that, but others as well who were not only incredibly strong, but ripped to shreds. Like dudes were were built like Adonis's, and they're not as quite as big as the guys now. But a lot of people would say, looking at them, you can't do that without steroids. But you know, you certainly can. Yeah, you can. You know, because we're, you know, so then we need to kind of delve into a little bit of okay, quality of muscle. You know, it's like a, a strong muscle doesn't have to be a big muscle. I mean, look at the um, weightlifting world champs that's just been on. Mm. The little people, you know, we're looking at um, 50, 53 or 57 kilo ladies, you know, clean and jerk 130 kilos. I think one of the, actually one of the ladies, uh, one that one was 140 clean and jerk at like 56 kilo. We're talking nearly, we're nearly triple body weight and we're talking ladies. <laughs> it's well, way better. You know, that's amazing. 10 kilos better than my best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky to back squat that at the moment. But hey, we'll digress. <laughs> so that that's, brings up a, an interesting segue too, to 
when you have people like that who, you know, way back in the old days, these old-time strong men, they looked, they weren't necessarily huge, but they were thick and they were dense. And it's something you see in a lot of the athletes now in CrossFit and you see it in a lot of, you know, uh, very elite-level weightlifters. That quality of muscle, what is that about? What do you think is driving that? Because I think it's still a lot of debate around this idea of, you know, quality of muscle. Because people just think, well, muscle just grows, right? Yeah. It either grows or it doesn't. And you're either lean or you're not. But there seems to be something. Do you think it's just genetics or do you think it's just, you know, the people who have that type of muscle rise to the top? Or well, what do you think? Mm, um, really good question. Um, so if we take the top level um, Olympic lifters, top level crossfitters um just to slice the pie open a bit um it's pretty much all they do yeah you know so um you know i was, I was lucky enough to have a 25 minute chat with a um, chinese weightlifting coach in hong kong uh, he was teaching in cantonese he was there was four or five people there but i could just see by what he was doing you know he was huge on internal rotation and uh, mm. and, and and stuff and it's like oh but you know and and nowadays it's like Oh, but surely external rotation is the key. And so I spy, and he had perfect English in their break. I had a little, uh, a little chat to him, and I said, "Oh, what's well, you know, what's your take on the internal rotation?" And like, well, internal rotation, the bar, the bar, they are huge on the bar staying in a straight line. And so um, internal rotation means the elbows here, which means when the pull and the high elbow and the massive shrug, the bar stays close to you. Yeah. Any external rotation, more often than not, the bar is going to pop away from you. Then you have to pull it back in. And then um, same was overhead. I said, what's what's your overhead? And it's like not anteriorly rotated internal rotation, but internal rotation with a shrug with shoulder blades together, but slightly internally rotated. So he they focus on index finger turning into the in toward the bar as yeah. opposed to a little finger turning into the bar. And he said, yeah. that's, that's the way we do it because it's the strongest position for the shoulder. Back to the question was like volume. That, that you know they 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 peak for not crossfitters but weightlifters you know that we're peaking for sort of um four competitions a year and only in moving into those cycles of um competitive weightlifting does the percentages go up you know that they're, they're talking the magic numbers 70 to 80 percent mm. of their max and training load yeah. and lots and lots of reps crossfit you know to get good you need to do lots and lots of reps so you know to answer your question i think um the main thing, obviously, besides diet, is volume. Yeah, volume I, and I volume agree. and intensity. Yeah, uh, and the, you know that's that's the training aspect, and then obviously there's the the uh, nutritional input as well. And I think the combo of those is producing the density of the muscle. Yeah, I, I think anyone who's been through training blocks, you know, of a long enough duration where they've done that, like you would have done with your Olympic lifting, and like I did with the, the lifting back in the day, you look different. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, your your muscularity just looks different. You're thicker, you're denser. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Um, so with respect to just your average person, mm-hmm. I know that I've had a bit of a well, before we get into that, you bring up a good point because I think a lot of the the rules that we had are not so much rules anymore. You know, I think a lot of um the you know, trying to get overextension in the T-spine during a lot of these lifts. Um, I know you've talked to me about that before. Um, 
you know, a lot of that excessive nature of shoulders back and down, you mm. know, it, it's yeah, kind yeah. of inconsequential. And when you look at a lot of the top lifters, they certainly don't do that. They're, they're almost doing the opposite. Yeah. And I remember when we used to lift, I mean, we had a very, we had a very strong focus on getting the, um, the shoulder blades back. It was all about getting your chest through, right? Yeah, yeah as big as that would always turn the elbow. So it was those two things together. Yep. Whereas people think about getting the shoulder blades back or externally rotating and they're immediately going to be going like so. Yeah. But as you say, your elbow's pointing forward. So the bar has to go forward too. Exactly. It has to go out like so. Whereas when it's turned in, it's going to sweep up the body. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I talked about that with Brett Contreras as well, and we both agreed that a lot of the the very rigorous attention to being really extended is possibly counterproductive and it might even cause some injury problems. Yeah. I don't know if I'm a little bit more relaxed on it. So long as I've got a stable spine that's not moving, I actually feel more stable and having a more natural back position. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I've been, um, I've kind of been naturally doing it for a few years and now in, in teaching, like if we, if we talk, um, front rack, um, kettlebell squat or barbell front squat. Totally different feeling and sensation to barbell back squat, whether it be yeah. high position or low. Uh, because when we go back squat, everyone kind of overextends. Yeah. Uh, you know, QL and everything, lower back kind of really shortens. And and I think then we miss the ability to access our hip flexors, which helps pull the femur up into the hip so that, so that the the femur's not driving forward and kind of giving us um, any pressure over the kneecap. We want that femur being pulled up into the hip, kind of uh, cylindrical, if you will. Um, and my mate was talking, um, Vince Belletta, yoga, yep. our yoga man, today. And so in the in the barbell front squat, I, I really cue pushing your elbows forward. Yeah, So then, likewise. Yeah, so then um, does two things, creates more room in the shelf or the inside the deltoid for the bar to sit, but that also puts us into a kyphotic or, or flexed um, upper spine, which then allows the collarbone to drop down, which means we're into more of a bracing position, which is exactly the opposite to our um, mm. extent, overextended, trying to draw those shoulder blades back hard and get that tension from there, where our lats are a lot stronger when our elbows are forward. Think like in the um, in the, pl the RKC plank position, you know, you're yeah. grounded in your upper back and that's a more solid position. So now I'm starting to play with this idea of instead of pulling my shoulder blades back to the rib cage, why don't I bring my rib cage back to the shoulder blade, which will mm. put me in the slightly flexed position, which will make us more stable. Then we have ability to access hip flexors easier than instead of our external rotators. Um, and I think that's where the more solid feeling that you're talking about comes yeah. from. You know, and that internal rotation of the of the elbow is also shoulder. And then the lat attaches to the lumbar spine. And then, so we're, you know, we're in business. We're, we're and all of a sudden we're lifting more weights. And if we look at the big um, power lifters, none of them are lifting an extension. They're, they're all into flexion because of the load determines that you have to go there. Yeah, and there's you know? also no point. I mean, it makes it a lot harder when you're trying to hold that that scapular retraction as well. Yeah, because what are, you, are we relying on our rhomboids? 
to, to, to hold a, to hold, you know to lift 200 kilo off the floor you know it's not really a yeah you know the lats are a lot stronger and yeah so i'm i'm playing with uh exactly those positions too trying to feel stronger and it might be um counterintuitive to the but posture says that we must be chest up shoulder blades back and down doesn't yeah that's that's posture that's not dynamic movement we're 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 we're, we're, we're sort of getting poles apart from yeah. the, this is the strongest for our dynamic movement cool yeah this is our static uh, walking everyday posture so yeah you know too and it's, it's interesting and any physios out there correct me if i'm wrong but i from what i've read the latest research in the physiotherapy side of things is, is sort of telling us that how we sit is not actually that important the more important thing is that we should get up a lot and move around and be in different planes because yep. how we're actually sitting doesn't really matter and i think there's been research on this where people are sitting in a supposedly ergonomic position yep. <clears throat> but they're still getting really tight hip flexors because they're sitting like this yeah, yeah they're, they're yeah, basically yeah. in a locked position so I, I almost think that i think i've observed the same thing in, in clients and in myself if in the repetitive movements that we do for, for lifting let's say it's clubs or it's kettlebell swing or whatever we're trying to be overly rigid now i'm not talking about good form i'm talking about overly rigid about particular postures when if it's a lightweight we can kind of let the body move yeah you know yeah yeah yep yep agree. do you agree or is, am i no 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 i agree base? no 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 you know there's kind of a uh i work within a um i guess an, i like people to be kind of above 90 percent. yeah you know yep. but maybe even 95 if, if they're if if they are aware of their body, training history is good, um, not injured, know what they're doing. If it gets a little bit messy, so five, maybe five, eight percent ish, that you know, I've got to let it go because it's yeah. like we're moving. You know, the, like you said before, the the rugby players, the league players, the netball players, they are moving. We're flexing, side bending, extending, taking this direction, that direction. Zero people are maintaining perfect posture. No. So therefore, we need not to sure. train. We yeah. therefore we need to train in that not quite perfect posture and your your flow is going to be quite different to someone who's stepping into the gym having never trained before you get someone who's never trained before to flow it's it's a fucking nightmare yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah whereas your flow because you're inherently going to preserve good joint position is going to be okay and i think that's when you can let things go yeah just that little bit just, more just right? a little just bit five percent yeah, yeah yeah just a little bit so no you're on uh you're on the money i think that's a uh you know and so long as it's safe you know because yeah. like you said uh, light even to medium weight um they're not really going to damage themselves if they're you know trying to press something that's uber heavy and getting dangerous then uh, i'm gonna just say hey let's just yeah call it there and, and take them back and you know and then as a trainer that you know we, we talked about sort of volume and intensity earlier it's like yeah, um is strength my priority or is keeping someone fit my priority mm. Now it's like, do I want people to be strong? Yes, I do. But if their heart and lungs aren't beating nicely and, and producing fresh blood around the place, then strength becomes redundant. Yeah. So um, for me now, it's like um, fitness first, like fit, being fit. And then, then yes, then I take them into the strength paradigm because yes, we want to get um, strong and have strong bones as we age. You know, like some of my older clients, I'm like, I want you to be able to still walk up your stairs at home and I want you to go to the toilet. So <laughs> box step ups, 
lots of them superseded with um you know just like kind of box squats to a height mimicking the toilet seat because yeah we're all going to get old and you know if we lose that ability to be able to sit down like in china mm. mate the, the in-ground toilets greatest thing ever they are squatting and if you can't squat down to have a shit you're going to die okay so a question for you i i think full range squatting is awesome right for yep. for for weightlifters, for powerlifters, for even though powerlifters probably don't need to all the time, but for weightlifters, strength athletes, athletes in general, whatever. But for general population, how important is it to actually do full range squatting under heavy load? Almost not at all. I'd agree. I am every one of and, my clients, if and you if you're watching. 20 years ago when I was lifting, I would have said it's fucking critical. Yeah. You've got to be squatting heavy to the ground, ass to the ground. Every one of my clients lunges. <laughs> Because that's what we do. We walk. I think walking is the m most functional movement yeah. that humans do. Yeah. You know, so. And few do enough of it. Few do I mean, enough of how it. Many, I don't get in 10,000 steps a day every day. I I should. I don't, I don't measure. I mean, I'm on my feet all day walking around the gym. I might get close. You, probably uh, you know, I've never measured it. It's probably something that I should do. Um, you know, and getting out into nature, walking. Yeah. You know, get out in the bush. Ground, you know, not enough people are grounding these days. You know, nothing makes me feel better than going to our batch and calf here, taking the dogs to Ocean Beach, shoes off in the water. Yeah. Grounding and and actually, I mean, feeling like I'm re-energizing. Yeah. No phone. You know, we, we don't have we don't have the Internet at the beach because it's a place where we go to relax and enjoy and, you know, get back to nature and allow that we don't allow ourselves to um, <clears throat> rejuvenate enough, you know, with yeah. with. With 5G coming, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody out there. I don't know the health uh, ramifications of 5G. I'm, I'm yet to see, I'm yet to study it lots. Um, but I don't think we get to to nature enough. And walking is one of those things that it's free. You get in yeah. the car and drive to the Waitakere's or anywhere that you like to walk and just and, and walk. I think we're doing it. And you know, and byproduct is <coughs> low intensity, steady state cardio. Hey, who who does that? So then I'll go back to. I want people to get fit first and then strong. Yeah. You know? So would that mean that you prioritize volume over intensity nowadays? Or is that an oversimplification? Um, maybe a little bit too simple. Um, I am, with my own training, um, I said, no, I used to, uh, I say used to because of shoulder reconstruction just over a year ago. I've, haven't done CrossFit in, in such a time. I'm just starting to do literally a couple of CrossFit type sessions a week. And I'm going back to what I learned. And that is three high intensity sessions a week. Yeah. That's what they teach you on, on the level one cert. And why I'm going back to that is because there is plenty of studies coming out to say um, consistent high intensity workouts every time you go into the gym. At some point in your training life, I start going to start becoming detrimental. Yeah. So I'm going to go three high intensity sessions for for injury or over stress or overtraining a combination. Yeah, a combination of all, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and and if if you're high intensity training, where are you getting your um, your low steady state cardio base from? So therefore, your if you are doing it to get fit, you know, I'll go far as, as back as old um, Peter Snell for an 800 meter runner. You know, his training was the old Arthur yeah. Lydiard, um 
of doing marathon runs weekly. And yeah. his, so his aerobic base is huge before you click over into that anaerobic state. And I, there are very few people that are, have a decent aerobic base. Yeah. So the high, constantly doing high intensity workouts, I don't believe is um, going to keep us because we're talking longevity now. You yeah. know, I want I want to be still doing this when I'm seventy. You know, I don't I don't want to be. Uh, oh, and the rest, mate. I'm yeah, going to one hundred twenty. One hundred. Oh, you're going one twenty. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Well, I'll be there with you, and we'll be boys. Um, yeah. The reason I said that is because I figured I, I I've hit forty, right? So yep. I'm in my forties now. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, shit, this could be halfway there. Right, I might be halfway towards the grave, or if I can push it out and be one of the outliers who actually makes it to 120, I'm in there third. That's a lot of living left. That's a lot of living. <laughs> so you know, so look, it's a good point. It's, and I'm I'm 48. You know, I'm into I'm heading into the shit the 50 category, and I'm like going, oh damn! I'm looking in the mirror, going, dude, you're 18 months away from well, a little bit more. You know, hitting 50, and I'm like, ooh, well, you're doing all right if the photo we posted was anything to go by oh you know it's, it's only a few years old now but <laughs> yeah. thanks for thanks for going back there <laughs> um but you know it's it brings up a good point like um it's not as easy at 48 <clears throat> to stay lean as when i was 38 yeah but, you know it was only a couple of years ago uh, uh at the end of um so i started really getting oh i actually I'll, well i'll go back and um i worked i walked into darren's gym CrossFit New Zealand, uh, as a 41-year-old, looked him in the eye, said, I want to go to the CrossFit Games. And he's probably heard that <laughs> too, too many thousands of times, and he probably thought, oh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, but I was dead serious. Anybody that knows me, if I've kind of said, hey, I want to do X, I'm going to give it my all. So I employed uh, John Templeton, who lived in the Gold Coast, as my he used to take on five uh, athletes, personal one-on-one athletes, and um, you shout know, out JT. Yeah, hey buddy. <laughs> um, and you know, he'd been to uh, regionals in Aussie three times, and you know, and we just kind of we just clicked when when we met, and so I thought, hey, you know, I'm gonna give him a rip. And um, you know, in 2016, went to Aussie and won a won my first kind of my only not first only international you know, a uh, gold medal at the Pan Pacific Masters. And then 217 was the, the goal to get to the Games. And I finished um, 26 in the uh, 45 to 49-year-old to age group. It's pretty good. I mean, that's a competitive you know, that's age a, category. Yeah, yeah, you know. And um, <clears throat> the top 20 was, was going to the Games. Uh, but then you went into the top 200, went into uh, the, the online qualifiers. And I went out another I went out another five places. So I finished 217 worldwide in 31st place um, but along the way I lost an Olympic snatch uh, not in a CrossFit workout in a weightlifting workout so it was like a single rep wasn't even heavy it was 80, 80 odd kilos and just lost it out the back and um, hurt my shoulder hurt my shoulder and it was it literally was kind of a niggle some days it was good some days it was bad and then it didn't stop me training and then um, you know, because I had the goal in the mind, and you know, you, when you when you're mid forties, there's niggles and niggles. You know, my supplementation range was um, <laughs> Voltaren and, and Panadol, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and a smoothie. Uh, that was my that was my supplementation, and um, and so at the end of two seventeen, uh, I literally couldn't lift my elbow above my shoulder without severe pain. It was waking me up at night, and um, 
ACC turned me down, so they kind of did me a favour. So I ended up, by the time I had my MRI, I had two full thickness tears, 19 mil in both supraspinatus and infraspinatus. Uh, labrum needed re-anchoring and needed a bicep tenodesis, so they cut the long head of bicep and they reattached it at the uh, the top of the humerus. And um, huh. and they turned me down and I fought them for nearly 14 months. So does that, that, that then doesn't help with um, shoulder extension? No. Anymore? But, but well, it's funny. Try the shoulder flexion. Shoulder flexion. Um, but, you know, I'm 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 back to I'm probably maybe I'm probably lacking a few degrees, mm. um, but just the because they then they sh- the long head of bicep was shortened even just to kind of still get back into that like dip position or anything like that I can still it still hasn't got back to the right uh, length tension relationship uh, so I'm doing constant rehab and that's how I kind of got into my um, kettlebell therapy stuff just by okay. I've been using these bad boys. I know what they can and can't do. So mm. slowly uh, put that together. And it's things like um, loaded carries in the rack position, just having your arm in a vertical position instead of like horizontal where we would, you know, press from traditionally. Yeah. And going, so going from things like side plank to vertical arm, so lat and oblique takes load, and then sort of 30-meter walk straight into a suitcase deadlift walk, same side, and so that it's, you know, the fascia, so it's loading opposite sides and the opposite side has to stabilise and, and things like that have got me back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, bottoms up carries and, yeah. and really light presses. <clears throat> Just to hold that kettlebell there in that position makes the rotator cuffs and everything really fire up and it's just real, real basic stuff that I've known, all the exercises that I've done. Now I've kind of put them into a sequence that I know I'm my own guinea pig. I know mm-hmm. that it works. And so, um, I'm, and there's lots of people out there with sore shoulders. So, you know, I just want to give back, you know, but also there's, there's, you know, there's a, the, the kettlebell, is kettlebell the best thing? No, I'm not saying it's the best, but it's the best thing I've come across. And it's just another modality. Yeah, there's the barbell, there's this, mm. there's the crossover symmetry. So physios, oh, yeah, yeah. physios recommendation. So when I say ACC, they help me. So two full thickness tears, like it's like a hole right through the tendon. Yeah. And so um, crossover symmetry, I bought one at the games when we went in 217. And I started doing external rotations, external rotations. And then, the you know, the the set rep prescription sort of um, could be wrong, physios. Uh, so don't shoot me. Um, I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of sort of 15 to 20 reps, three, three sets, 15 to 20 reps. Well, I was like, hey, what, what would happen if I do... 30. Oh, okay. Subscap is now burning. Okay, what about 40? Okay, what about 50? So every day, so five days a week for that 14 months, I would do four sets of 50. So I was up north of 200 reps. Yeah. 50 on the left, 50 on the right because I wanted to stay there because I couldn't do any of the TY stuff because the shoulder was too sore to do it. So it was just 50, 50, 50. So, for, yeah, for at least 12, 14 months, 200 reps a day, five days a week, and, and some other stuff. Uh, when the surgeon got in there, he did not repair the two full thickness tears. Hmm. Because even though he saw there was still damage there, his, so um, Warren, big shout out, Warren Lee, Millennium Institute, the man, um, 
when he got in there, his question to himself is, can I make this tendon stronger than what God did? My physio, he wanted to watch the operation. So he, you know, we hooked it all up and he was in there watching and he said he had his um, tool under the tendon and yanking the shit out of them. And he was like, I can't, I can't cut them, reattach them, and guarantee that that's going to be stronger. So he left them. He left them. Um, so 200 reps plus for any um, shoulder <coughs> rotator cuff places, you know, get it north of that and then do it for time and, and be consistent and, and see where you go. So in yeah. the end, I, I only had to have the labrum re-anchored and the bicep tenodesis. Hmm. So, um, you know, and so obviously my recovery was – probably a little bit quicker. Um, and the average recovery there, they said, you know, oh, eight months to a year. Well, I'm at 13 months now, 13 and a half months, and I still get a little pain doing certain things. Um, Mobility is only just coming, as I said before, the the bicep tendon is just starting to get some decent length into it, so it's not pulling, catching on stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's... I, uh, I think that ultra-high work is massively underestimated. And I think it's because when people think ultra high rep work, they're thinking about, well, should I do that or strength work? But I think without the strength base and without a base of good muscularity, it's kind of redundant. Totally you strong, redundant. You need to have more muscle. Yep. But if you have that and you're not doing the higher rep work, I think there's a lot that's going to be left um, wanting for your joints and your general overall muscular health i don't know how to frame it other than that i've been since i've come back to training really hard i'm always doing strength work every session but it's quite limited mm. it's almost like what we we're discussing before almost like that sort of power to the people type methodology where it's quite limited you know heavy low volume stuff but then yeah. i ease back into quite high rep light kettlebell work or yeah. light dumbbell work yeah, yeah. or whatever and, you know, I, I even just chuck around two five-kilo dumbbells and, you know, just do a range of stuff, do some curls, some presses, then do weird sort of movements, you yeah, know, it's yeah. basically flowing. <laughs> and the same sort of thing, you know, you think five kilos is nothing, but I get up 30, 35, 40 reps and it's burning, you know, it's, it's really hard. But afterwards, the next day, I feel so much better having done that yeah. rather than just leaving it at the strength work. Yeah, because what you've, what you've inadvertently done is with the light weight, you haven't hammered the, uh, the nervous system. So the recovery yeah. is you're not walking back into the gym <clears throat> next day just going, oh, my God, I'm absolutely buggered because you've just – it's more um, – exactly. um, um, what does old mate Paul Check call it now? Working in. Working yeah. out is what, you know, strength work, like really caning it, and working in is kind of like rejuvenating, making yourself feel better, which is exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So, you know, I've got a few clients um, that I'll go, right, 20 kg bar – 100, we're going to keep doing it and, and give them a little uh, penalty, you know. Um, strict shoulder presses with just the 20 kilo bar. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, 10, 20, oh, oh, you know. And people will be lucky to do 30 reps strict, you know, to yeah. the collarbone. And, man, it cooks. I don't know if this is your experience, but I think you maintain, maybe not, you know, not the same level, but you maintain strength if you've been a lifelong strength athlete relatively well. Mm -hmm. But when I came back to doing some lighter rep work, like, you know, I could still, you know, press 40, no problem, press 60, yeah, that's okay. Press 70 is a bit of a struggle, it's getting up near body weight. But then drop back to the bar, I was finding about 10 or 15 reps in, 
<laughs> so, yeah, I thought I could do nearly that with 40, you know, yeah, yeah. so that the endurance was really poor. Yeah. And just being able to get that endurance up under load, I think, is is critically important. Yeah. How yeah. often do you do a maximal sort of lift in daily life? Infrequently. It never, never <laughs> unless we were the uh, lifting the car to get the body out from underneath it, you know, so, so yeah, pretty yeah. much never yeah. is the answer to your question. And I also wonder, and this is something that I've been toying around with, when you look at the research on, let's say, the effect between doing six reps, you know, classic strength range, three yep. to six reps or whatever, versus the strength gain that you'd get from doing 10 reps or even 20 reps, yes, you gain maximal strength better with the low reps, but the effect size isn't as much as you'd think. Mm. So maybe, you know, there, there's certainly a case to be made for, if nothing else, mixing up your reps and your the equipment that you use yep. and the, uh, the the planes that you move in, yep, all those various things, particularly for what we're talking about, which is that increase in health span. Yeah. So, so um, you know, let's just put a caveat in there that if you're a professional athlete, you got to do the same exercise of consistently. But we're just talking normal gym people after longevity of life. So, yes, variety, change intensities, change volumes, change exercises. Having said that, I think one thing that has come, I think it started coming up a lot when I first started getting into, you know, heavy lifting back in the probably mid nineties, a lot of guys in the powerlifting and all round scenes were starting to talk a lot about what we call GPP back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, they would be big, fat, strong dudes. And then to break through plateaus often what was required was to actually be better conditioned. Now maybe it was because they could then train, with more volume or they'd recover better or whatever but it's certainly an interesting one where i absolutely agree with you 100 percent. specificity is so important but generalities is also important for not just health but for performance maybe yeah and you know and then um nowadays you know people would sort of say oh well what are the benefits of kettlebells you know my sort of go-to response is well mobility flexibility stability strength if you use something heavy enough cardiovascular output all in one go and i can deliver you that in a 20 minute workout and it's yeah. like we're not on a uh, we're not on one of the uh, adverts you know it's like 0800 you know but i'm dead set serious if you put um once well, you've once you've learned the it's movement also a very small gym to have in your house yeah mate it's, most people keep it to keep the doors open um if i said to you okay we're going to do um classic uh simple and sinister style 10 minutes of turkish get up so one on the left one on the right light only has to be light if necessary and then 10 minutes of swings you know however if we want to barter it or 30 on 30 off or whatever however we want to put it bang for buck tell, tell me tell me so we talk you mentioned before um really nicely is planes of motion well um the get up goes from it's primitive mm. primitive primal patterns whatever you would like to call it babies on your back to rolling to kneeling to standing all while moving your body around a stationary arm with load. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and swings. I mean, it, it, all athletic movements require a hip hinging, hip, hip, hip bending, hip extending movement. Um, and you could put subtleties come off that. And if, if longevity is what you're after and you're short on time, then boy, have I got the deal for you. Yeah. You know, one thing I, um, I certainly noticed was that one thing I missed out on, through 
a period of my training, I think, was lateral movements. So now I mm. chuck in a lot of um, Cossack quads and surf slides and stuff mm. like that just to really get that lateral movement. Um, getting outside for some some cutting drills, yeah, you know, yeah. like we used to do in footy, yeah, yeah. just to be able to, again, move laterally. Yeah. Because I found like it, it, it became so, I became so unaccustomed to it. It felt weird. Mm. It shouldn't feel weird because we, we grow up doing it, right? Exactly. We do grow up doing it. And then we go into a sedentary lifestyle, like you said before. Um, and then if we go back to your comment on, do we need to squat with a, with a heavy load? No, we don't, because where, where, do, where do we do that in life? Unless we're wanting to be a powerlifter or, or have a big squat. Yeah. We're unilateral. You know, we're, we're left to right. We're crossover. We're, we're lungers. We're walkers. We're runners. You know, so. I hate to admit it, but I don't squat anymore. <laughs> Apart from, actually, I, I goblet squat. I do kettlebell front squats. Um, you know, I'll still do some cleans and deadlifts and things like that, but I'm mostly uh, trap bar deadlift oh, yeah. as a squat yeah, movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mainly just because I find it's it's easier to do at home without a rack. Um, it's nice and functional in terms of, you know, bending over and picking shit up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I did my back quite badly and I blew out two discs in my back, um, Steve Angel messaged me, shout out Steve, um, one of the strongest guys in history. And he said, then um, get a trap bar. Just do it. Get a trap bar. Nice, easy range of motion. You can load up nice and heavy without a lot of stress on your back. And I think that was a real godsend. Yeah, yeah. I'm still squatting, um, but I'm moving more towards front squatting, barbell, and um, either single or double um, kettlebell squat as well. Um, I just, it's a nicer movement. I've, I'm, you know, I've had a few little lower back issues as well and i find that i kind of naturally gravitate to overextending when i get to a certain weight with the back mm -hmm. squat um so i'm just starting to play with what i was talking about before more of a brace position so you know you might look at me under the under the squat um bar and think oh that guy's up a back's rounding a little bit but i'm intentionally doing it I'm, I'm using my abdominals hard you know hip flexors are firing and so it's uh i'm just going to play with that and if it doesn't feel look if it doesn't feel good don't do it yeah you know don't just do that because someone said oh you must squat like you said there's a million ways to squat you know pistol squat goblet squat bodyweight squat if you want to squat but you know my advice to everybody is um lunge lunge like a champion yeah definitely i think lunging has far more crossover for people just interested in general health and longevity yeah and you know and provided that we're, we're injury free traveling lunges walking lunges yeah absolute key man if you can't glutes quads calves abs uh, yeah. and heart rate yeah. it is so underrated how high your heart rate gets from walking lunges especially if you're um, like a single kettlebell you know the weight's pressing down on the rib cage lungs are getting caned and so yeah. the heart rate just whoop, spikes and if that's if that's what you're after then also get heavy, some heavy goblet lunges oh, if you want to work mate, your biceps you know, beautiful <laughs> <laughs> so now i mean you've talked about a bunch of the people who have influenced you through the years who are some of your go-tos now, like modern-day people that you're sort of looking to as, you know, very influential in, in health, fitness, strength? Mm, mm. Interesting. So I start my my favourite, um, first and favourite kind of guru was Paul Check. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of went away from that. I went into – I didn't do any of the Poliquin um, certifications, but I liked his philosophies. Um, and then when kettlebell came around, I can't lie, Pavel, uh, huge. 
because uh, well, I mean, the, the simplicity, the, the simplicity of you know some of the classic uh, the pyramids like uh, mm. the ladders one two three four five fifteen reps you know it's classic like fifteen reps Russian weightlifting strength numbers um, so clean and press once on the left clean and press once on the on the right one weighted chin that little circuit mate it is still such a, an absolute cracker so um, I don't really have I don't really follow one. Um, strength person really um i did like jim wendler's uh 531 yeah. a couple of years back um uh and then of late like in the last year or two um i've kind of gone more into a little bit of a spiritual journey i guess and um I've, you know paul check's got his uh 4d podcast and and i like listening to him and and um uh, aubrey marcus from on it Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. They have had some real good chats, and I like, I guess, I think it's, I have changed. I lost touch with Paul Chick a long way, but it was more probably my journey, and now I'm kind of coming around. I like, I like the way he thinks, I like the way he talks, and um, yeah, so. Yeah, I think both Paul and, um, and Pavel come in for a lot of stick, and I think people forget that they, they introduced or reintroduced a lot of concepts that were really needed in in health and fitness. Mm. And whether, you know, yes, it went a little bit extreme with the whole unstable, functional, whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was still a movement in the right direction. And I think, you know, with Pavel bringing the kettlebell back to prominence, yeah. the simplicity of his methodologies and how that's influenced other people who I think are, you know, taking that to the nth degree, like your Dan Johns and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Like, <clears throat> that that was really needed, I think. It was an OBS approach that people could understand, they could do, and I think that probably got a lot of people off their butts. Mm, I agree. You know, the uh, the mastermind behind um, Pavel bringing kettlebells to the Western world, if we want to put it, is John Duquesne. Yeah. You know, and he's, um, he's Dragon Door Productions, you know, if you didn't know. And John know. was an old... Um, he's like a Tai Chi... Ah, he was. Yeah, no, I'm thinking of one of his uh, the other guys involved, one of the first kettlebell guys. John Maxwell. John. No, it was um, the name will come to me. He was an old. Was he all, part of the APC? Very early days. Oh. Very active in the old Dragon Door forums. And oh stuff. yeah. But there was a bunch of all round lifters who became involved because suddenly people were interested in kettlebells again. Mm. And obviously, kettlebells have been used by the old time weightlifters forever yeah forever because there was this thing happening it was super exciting mm. so i you know you, you mentioned that crossfit has really brought a lot of things back to prominence i would say you know the kettlebell movement was concurrent or even a little bit before that yeah thing back starting in the 90s yeah late, late 90s early early 2000s and then it really went boom um yeah sort of 2007 eight ish yeah you know and uh you know, it's a, um, you know, um, it's it's a training system that's, you know, I've kind of coined a phrase. It's a uh, an ancient training system worthy of modern realization. Yeah, that's because awesome. you know it's a lump of metal, and yet if you if you take the time to learn it, it can produce some magic. Like it can really produce some magic, and and I'm talking like the uh, the flow on effects. If you if you're a big bencher or, you know, you want to shoulder press a barbell, look, ultimate strength is you're not going to go away from the barbell. 
But if you do, um, you know, Turkish get-ups regularly, you know, you, mm. you get the, the stabilizers in the shoulder, you know, the rotator cuff, they're going to get stronger and, and be able to stabilize that joint. And when you go back to what you like doing, it's like, damn. And, you know, and they, that not my phrase, but, you know, I think it was the RKC boys or the strong first boys. It's like the what the hell effect. So, and it's yeah, true. Yeah, it's like, yeah. what the hell just happened? It's like, yeah. how did I get strong? Yeah. Oh, well, I was doing these, uh, these Turkish get-up things, you know, and, and it's like time under tension. If you do five Turkish get-ups, and a good get-up, you know, will be up and down in 30 seconds, roughly. You don't want to be going any faster than that. So if you do five on one arm, that's a decent amount of time under tension. So yeah, mm. can you, is it a bodybuilding move? No, it's not. But time under tension is going to stress the muscle and ligaments and tendons anyway. So that sucker is going to get stronger no matter how you want to dress it up. Yeah. You know, so that's a, it's a huge, it's a huge move. It's probably... I'd have to say probably my favorite move because it addresses the get up. The get up. It it it's all planes of motion. Um it it it's and I use it as an assessment tool, you know, for hip extension, um, shoulder mobility, stability, you can get strength out of it. Um, yeah, you get you can get a ton out of it. And again, it's a you know, it's certainly not a, a modern thing and it's not something that's restricted to kettlebells. You know, it's nah. such a universal exercise in, yeah. in old school weightlifting. Yeah. I think it's a great one. Yeah. And, you know, again, different techniques as well. I know that yeah, um, yeah, different styles. what you're doing for therapy and rehab and then, you know, with the, the, the first and second levels of your kettlebell cert, it's going to be just that little bit different to a maximal lift and all-round weightlifting, but it doesn't matter mm. because the, the same tool leverage for different purposes can be a very powerful one absolutely you know i like i the very first move in level one is the turkish get up because it's so demanding mm. you know people need to be fresh and i spend at least a couple of hours on it and you know and you know we chuck a shoe on a fist and, and it teaches people tempo um <laughs> you know as soon as you add load to it it makes it easier but hey yeah. if you can't just control your own arm your own body weight or if you haven't got the mobility in your shoulder to pull that back with well, just balancing a shoe, you've really got no right to be adding load until yeah. such time. You know what I say? It's like, do 100 reps with that shoe per arm before you pick up load. And it's going to teach you a shitload about where your body is in space. Yeah, and those types of movements, I think, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm still probably only just reminding myself of the value of doing those types of things at the beginning of a workout, especially given that I sit on my butt and I write for a living. Right, so I'm sitting in here, I'm riding away, and then I go down to our little home gym. And if I just get straight into things, even if I am doing a bit of a warm-up, I'm not clicked in. Mm. You can't help but be in the groove if you've done a Turkish get-up like that, yeah, yeah, right? Because yeah. if you're not in the groove, yeah. you lose it. Yeah, Especially totally. if you are starting out really simply with yeah, something yeah, on yeah, your fist. Yeah, yeah. It's gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Mikey, um, if you had one piece of advice to give to someone entering the fitness industry now, what would that be? Challenge, challenge the books, challenge the teachers, challenge what you're learning. Just because a manual <laughs> says four sets of eight is going to produce you X, Y, Z. Don't just go, sweet. I'm doing four sets of eight because so and so and so and so. Mm. You know, I open my in my opening sort of stanza in my 
um, therapy and rehabilitation in Hong Kong last week. I was like, do not take my word for it. Challenge mm. me. Just because I say so and just because the book that you learned at university said so, challenge it. And, yeah. keep, and, and take that through your career and challenge the people that are telling you something. And because it's why. Yeah. Why am I doing that? Oh, because the book said. Well, fuck the book. What if it's better this way? What if it's better this way? Try it. And, you know, and that goes back to what we said earlier about don't get tunnel vision and just follow one person. Study a lot of people and then you'll get, okay, I like that. I don't like that. That idea is good. And then you have to be your own guinea pig and deliver on that. And if you disagree with what you read, then that's your opinion. Move on to something else and mm. challenge that. Because if you're not challenging stuff, you're not learning, and then you're not becoming you're not learning yourself, and that's how that's how I stay um, stimulated. Because if I'm just going four sets of eight, four sets of eight, how many times can I count to ten in a day? I'm going to bore the shit out of myself. My clients are going to feel it. Yeah. Um, so if you're getting into the industry, learn it and 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 sort of do a taster of just about everything. Yeah. You know, across the board, find out what you and and find a niche. Become a specialist. Because if you walk into a gym like ours at Les Mills and there's 65 trainers on the personal training board and they mm. all say, I do strength, I do fitness, I do flexibility, I'm also a nutritionist, I do Pilates, <laughs> I do blah, 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 blah. You're going to pick the person with the nicest smile. Yeah. You know? But if you want to go, hey, the kettlebell, if people come into Les Mills and it's not a, this is not an ego comment, it's like, does anyone teach kettlebells? Oh, yeah, Mike, he's the, he's the kettlebell guy. Go and see that guy. So... Find your niche, specialize in it, and become known in your area and your town as the go-to person for whatever it is that you fall in love with. Because if you don't love your thing, you're not going to be passionate about it. And people can feel passion. And at the end of the day, we're trainers. We need people putting money in our pockets to live. And if you're just there counting to 10 lots of times a day, okay, Cliff, we're going to move over here. Mate, you're going to be fucking out of business in no time. And I've seen so many decent young trainers come in the door at Les Mills and be out the back door within nine months because yep. they haven't found their thing. You know, no. so that's my uh that's my advice. I agree. I think there's a lot of wasted effort. I think a lot of a lot of trainers are are stressing so much about getting more and more clients through the door. They're forgetting to enjoy it and part of enjoying it is to continue to challenge yourself. So you keep playing around with ideas, using different modalities, using different pieces of equipment, yep. all that kind of stuff. You've yep. got to do it. Otherwise, you just become obsolete really quick. Really quick. And, you know, with the most people, we didn't just sort of arrive at, I'm going to be a personal trainer. You were either a sports person growing up, rugby, netball, hockey, whatever. <clears throat> you liked exercise. You went to the gym. You fell in love with working out. It made you feel good. And then you kind of went, hey, man, mm. I want to do this for a living. You know, so that's how it come about. So if you have 50 clients in a week, you're going to last probably six months before you burn out. You're not going to be um, training. You're not going to be eating well because you're going to be too tired and all of a sudden you're this grumpy-ass trainer inside a year and you've lost the enjoyment out of it. Yeah. You know, so, you you know, you bang on. You've got to enjoy it and, and um, you know, you need your, your week needs to be structured. Like I, to this day, I do not do more than three clients in a row before I allow myself for even a 15 minute break or a half an hour break because I need to rejuvenate. Yeah. And not not necessarily for food. I just need to rejuvenate so that my next client 
gets the same me as absolutely. the very first person did. Yeah, and I think, you know, a, a lot of trainers, especially nowadays, are quite scientific. They're quite evidence-based. And I was talking about this actually with um, Richie the other day. Uh, Richie Hardcore, we caught up. We obviously did a podcast a few days back, but before that we'd caught up and um, I sort of said, look, I'm a scientist, right? If I'm a scientist, shouldn't I be looking at the evidence which tells me that there's a drastic drop-off in productivity and effectiveness if I overwork, right? But everyone says, oh, but that's not going to be me. I'm going to be the person who can work 50, <laughs> 60, 70 hours a week yeah. and be fine. Well, no, you're not. Yeah, that's going to work for about one to two weeks. And the evidence tells us that your productivity is going to drop off. And not only are you less productive per hour, you're less productive overall. So give yourself back some time, charge a bit more, you'll make the same amount of money and you'll have a bit of time to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I started um, at Les Mills, uh, beginning of 2004, so I'm getting up there now, um, you know, Lee Perot was kind of like the guru. The man. The man. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was the man. And, um, you know, I was talking, talking to him about, you know, okay, what do we charge? What, you know, what's happening? He's like, I charge $100 a person. This is in 2004. I'm like, damn, that's a lot of money. And yeah. he said, 20 clients a week is all I do. It's all I need to do. I'm thinking, Jesus, $2,000 a week, 20, 20 hours plus whatever he puts into programming and doing whatever else. So it can't be more than 25 hours. He goes, and then, you know, then I go and enjoy life. Mm. And I'm like, damn, that's awesome. You know, I want to be like that one day. And, you know, 17 years later, and I'm charging a little bit more than that. And, uh, you know, I kind of, uh, I kind of do between um, 30 to mid 30 clients. And that's, and that's, this that's be a good, comfortable. You know, that, that's enough. Yeah. You know, because, um, it's a very giving job. If you see 35 people a week, even though you see a couple of clients twice, it's very giving. It's energy, it's energy, it's energy, you know? Yeah. I've got a um, beautiful fiance and two children, and, you know, and I need to be able to go home and give back. You know, the, 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 I have done 50 clients a week for many months, and I go home and I am exhausted. Yeah. And I'm just not and then it's groundhog good day, to right? be around. Yeah. You know, and, and back in the day, it used to be to re-energize myself would to be, go out and get drunk and have fun and, and do that. And, and and there's nothing re-energizing about that. I'm staying out late. I'm drinking booze. I'm not recovering. I'm eating shitty food the next day. And then I go back to work on a Monday yeah. and I'm even more tired. Yeah, yeah. And it's and I was just, it was just, like you say, ground up there. It was like, and I did it for years, you know. And um, coming January, you know, I would have had, uh, I would have, it'll be four years uh, since I've had a beer. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't miss it. Um, it's not something that is important in my life. It doesn't provide me any positivity. And so, um, you know, I get just to, I enjoy a uh, sparkling water with ice and a bit of lemon, and it's just as refreshing as a beer. It's mm. not, you know, it doesn't give you the, uh, you know, it's like the stress, the, the classic is um, the stressed corporate people that are, oh, I just, you know, I just need a few beers just to calm down. Yeah, it's like, dude, it's not calming you down. Yeah, you know, it's the opposite of what you're thinking it's doing. And uh, you know, it's then then it's like, well, but oh man, you must be boring. If you don't go out, what do you do? Mm. I'm like, I actually have real conversations because after ten o'clock at night, after we've been on the piss for you know <laughs> three or four hours, you're not having a real conversation. Nice. You know, everyone's just talking shit and dribbling, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's it. So I'd, I'd much rather uh, 
sit with you the morning after in a cafe and and uh, and have a real conversation and and connect. Yeah, you know, I talked earlier about uh, grounding. You know, that's for me. That's you know, that's rejuvenating. Yeah, and um, you know, there was a thing on Facebook the other day, and it was posed photos, but it was like couples in bed. You know, and that they had their phone, but they've taken the phone away, and people on park benches, and it was this <laughs> life, and it was like you know, two people lying in bed, but you're on your phone and I'm on mine. No one's connecting. Yeah, you know, exactly. and I'm just wondering why society's fucked. Yeah, because we're not connecting with with each other. Like back in our day, if I wanted to, if I wanted to ring a girl up and ask her out on a date, I had to pick up the phone, dial it, and actually talk to her. Now, you know, it's like uh, Snapchat and Instagram. I mean, my my oldest, he said to me, "Dad, you do realize that Facebook's um, old people social media?" And <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh, he didn't just say that," <laughs> and, and that's where we are. Yeah. You know, we're, the, we're, we're becoming a society of uh, non-connectors. Yeah. You know, and it's it's detrimental. Well, I think people are realizing now the the effect that's having on, on mental health. You know, there's been books written about it. There's been a lot of papers published. And I, I think I, I think it's starting to cut through, but maybe it's just because we deal with the, the worried well. Mm. You know, I don't know whether it has the cut through across society in general, but I think it's certainly starting and people are becoming much more aware of that real connection that we yeah. need to have. Yeah. Uh, and not just connection with other people. It's the things you mentioned, connection with reality, nature, fresh air, you know, different types of environments, different types of surfaces, all sorts of things that we get from actually out doing things that aren't just yeah, stuff yeah. on our phone. You know, and look, uh, yep, I, you know, I need to advertise my courses. So, yes, I'm on social media. I have to have a website. So, yes, I have to be on it. I, uh, I still enjoy, even though you might look at me and see me on my phone, it's not um, – always Instagram or Facebook, I actually read lots of articles on training. So mm. that's because that's my, that's, I'm learning. I like to, I'm a sponger. I like to learn. It's like, okay, cool. So whilst you might see me on my phone, more often than not, it's either um, listening to podcasts because I love listening to different people's approaches to life and, and, and reading stuff. And uh, but yeah, that, uh, that connection thing, we've got to be, you know, and that's something I'm trying to do with uh, my boys is limit their time on the internet yeah you know because it becomes a, a babysitter oh yeah plug your uh, baby or young child in front of the tv or, or the night the ipad or playing a phone because you know mum or dad they need to get stuff done and that's mm. that's life yeah but then you know when the two-year-old starts crying because you know you're taking the phone off them that's a problem yeah definitely you know that's a that's a real problem and uh yeah so well, we've noticed that with clients um you know when they the phone is such a good babysitter, but you take it away and there's a small time of discomfort and then a far deeper level of comfort. So, you know, kids who have sort of talked to the, the parents about that are getting to sleep earlier. They're yeah. sleeping through the night. You know, all these little things are starting to occur and over the long term, it ends up being a heck of a lot easier. So it's a good example of that short-term gain for long-term loss. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the ways that we can all work with that, I don't have kids, so I'm not obviously a good example of this, except that I think we need to start by having rules for ourselves first in order to then sort of be an example for other people. Yeah, because if, the, if our children look at us and, and I'm saying, I'm, and I'm saying, hey, put your phone away, and they look at me going, well, what are you doing, Dad? Exactly. You know, so, you know, you bang on, you know, you, you, you're dead right. She's, 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 she's an interesting journey. Indeed. Yeah.
Well, Mikey, I know you're a busy man, so I will have to let you go, but we'll have to get you back on uh, to talk again at some point soon. Absolutely. Do you have any courses coming up for your uh, in New Zealand for your kettlebell? I do. Um, I've just released um, my final dates for the year. So December 7th is level one. Uh, that's going to be at Albany. Um, and level two is going to be on the Sunday, the 8th of December in the same vicinity. So um, www.masterkettlebellacademy.com. And then on the homepage there, there's uh, book courses and so forth. And for the next three and a bit weeks is the uh, early bird special. So if you're a kettlebell enthusiast, uh, come along and have some fun. I'll hopefully share some love for you. And anyone listening around the world, have you got any anything lined up? Uh, I am hoping to get back to Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Taiwan mid-December. Um, but if there's not enough time to organise that, then we're going to go post Chinese New Year, and that will be uh, mid February. Awesome. So we'll put up the um, your URL in the show notes as well. Great, thank you. And so anyone who wants to find that, just go to the show notes at cliffharvey.com when they're posted up, or go to my page, Cliff Harvey Author, at Facebook, and you'll see that there as well. Thank you, Mikey. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, brother. Good, good to see man. You. Thanks for listening to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. To support the podcast and receive member-only benefits along with free articles, go to cliffharvey.com. Subscribe to the podcast on all popular podcast channels and to our YouTube channel at holisticperformance.tv.